on the Boss Man Show. Special guest, literally reports, Jake Fisher has a book, NBA's Tanking Error, Changed the League Forever, and it helped our Hawks. Obviously, Tanking helped the Hawks too, Jake. So as we know, it helped the Hawks get Trey Young as well, people. So let's talk about your book, man. What's up, Jake? Talk to me, my brother. I'm, I'm happy to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Error Changed the League Forever. It's been out for a couple weeks. It's doing pretty well. So let's, let's keep the momentum going. No doubt, Jake. Let me ask you this, brother. You have roots in Philly and in New York. So I've seen Sam Hinkey go go through the process. Kind of, I guess, made you want to write this book. But tell us about what inspired you to write, to write the book, first, first and foremost. Let's talk about Sam Hinkey's vision and the way they are right now, number one seed in the Eastern Conference. So it's Sam Hinkey's vision is coming to fruition right now for the Sixers as, as we speak. It is. Sam Hinkie was one of several analytical-minded executives to come to power in, you know, around 2013. And you know, every, a lot of the, the strategy being exacted by those guys was to tank. For that 2014 draft, I was featuring Joel Embiid and Julius Randle, among others. And you know, while Miami was running things down you know, with the Heat, that not four, not five, not six, you know, those guys all came in the top five of, of 2003, the, considered to be the best class, you know, before that 2014 class. So all these factors lined up, you know, Boston did it. They traded KG and Paul Pierce to Brooklyn the same night that uh, Hanky moved Drew Holiday to New Orleans. And obviously Jason Tatum, who we just saw, you know, go off in the playing tournament is one of the crown jewels of the Celtics rebuild. So obviously with there, with Philly, with Phoenix, you know, they didn't think it'd be Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, but sure enough, they get those two guys that attract Chris Paul, and the Suns are at the top of the West. So tanking clearly has its dividends. Most definitely. And you know what? I feel like some more teams should tank because in the NBA trying to do this playing tournament, people are still going to tank. You know, I feel like some teams should have quit not go, quit going for it and started tanking, but they didn't, didn't do it. So it kind of persuaded to a degree, but tanking pays off. Look at the Atlanta Hawks right here. Hunter, Reddish, Young, Herder, John Collins was not pretty part of the tanking, but he was pre-tanking. But the Hawks' young core came from tanking. And then the Hawks had cash to spend on Bogdanovich, Gallinari, Rondo, Dunn, Hill, and those guys the Hawks roster there. So tanking and those locked-in rookie skills, got salaries, helps to want to acquire via trade sign via free agency some star players. Absolutely. I mean, the rookie contract thing is big, but also, you know, if you're a small market team, I mean, apologies to Atlanta, but, you know, obviously Atlanta is not Los Angeles or New York. And we can see teams like the Lakers who, you know, by all accounts during that five year stretch from 2012 to 2017, before they signed LeBron, really, they were the worst team in the league over that literally the worst team by record. And, and Travis Schlenk even told me this, that, you know, the Lakers had the largest margin for error. They can screw up year after year after year. They still sign LeBron. And all the guys that they tanked for or tanked inadvertently and got, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, you go down the list, ends up being the package to get Anthony Davis. Other teams don't have that option. To get these all-stars, to, to stockpile a bunch of guys like Trey and DeAndre and Kevin Herter and so on and so forth, you got to do it through the draft. And I think, you know, as long as your draft positioning is going to be dependent on your record, we're going to still keep seeing teams lose on purpose. That's why the that's why the book is called Built to Lose. Like these rosters get put together to intentionally lose games. 
Yes, and like Orlando, OKC, Detroit this year. I mean, Cleveland. <laughs> I mean, you could you could see them <laughs> grinding the wheels to get that positioning. And heck, the Clippers was tanking to avoid the Lakers, and so were the Nuggets. And, <laughs> and so it happens in the playoff teams too, tanking for positioning. So tanking is a part of the NBA, no matter how people hate it. I love tanking, personally, Jake. I love it. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to 1984. The lottery only got started because David Stern, as he took over the commissioner's office, he watched the Houston Rockets lose 16 of their last 21 games to get into. At the time, it was a coin flip between the worst team in the East and the worst team in the West. It was like that all the way back to 1966. Houston did that to get Hakeem Olajuwon, and that's when David Stern says, uh-uh, we're not having this. We institute the lottery. The very first year is what? That 1985 frozen envelope with Patrick Ewing. Obviously, getting these guys is so important. It, it creates this, you know, this television marquee event that the league has now with the lottery. Conspiracy theories abound. Like it's such a central theme to the league that isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And I'll be personal with you, Jake. I was hoping the Hawks lose a lot every game because <laughs> I want Zion Williamson. And we won too much and missed out on it. it yeah. People used to get on me of all time. Why he wants to lose? Because it's better for us if we lose right now. I mean, winning a, a random game in Sacramento is not going to help us be the franchise we want to be again. We had Neek and Matumbo and Steve Siff those days. We, we, or having our core five with Bud was here. So, like, we need to lose more to get better. But, you know, it's working out for right now. But I want us to get Zion Williamson. Him and Atlanta could have given us some, some even bigger buzz, having him, him and Trey here. Yeah, of course. And, and I think that's why teams are so willing to do so. Like, it's it's not football. Obviously, the, the quarterback is considered to be, you know, the most important position in all sports. But it's really not. He can't play both sides of the court. LeBron making nine of the last ten finals is as much a testament to his greatness as it is how, you know, one player can really swing everything for a whole team and a whole league. I mean, Trey Young comes in, and obviously he has his own deficiencies defensively, size-wise, whatever, but the Hawks are primarily a four seed or a five seed in the playoffs right now because they have Trey Young and they have an all-star and they did what they had to do to get a guy of that caliber. And, you know, it's going to be continuing as long as you know, the, the events we detail in the book, you know, force the league to change the lottery rules to no longer have the worst team have a 25% chance. And now the bottom three teams all have an even 14% chance. And like you said, we're still seeing OKC and Detroit and Houston and all these other teams try to position themselves at the top of the lottery because this 2021 class is considered to be the best since that 2014 class that I wrote about in the book. So it really is a vicious cycle. No doubt, man. And you know, speaking of the Sixers, a guy from our school, Robert Covington, Tennessee mm -hmm. State, he was on that roster. And I remember the Sixers guys were telling me, this is the best job interview you can ever have because you can come here and play and get experience. And Robert ended up getting a good contract from the Sixers. They traded him, but he got a good deal for a guy who came in as an undrafted dude from a smart HBCU school in Nashville, where we both went to school at. Yeah, I'm going to give you another one. Tim Frazier, he went to Penn State, played four years, was about to go undrafted. Everybody knew it. But Tim Frazier... You know, this is a great news story I have reported in the book. 
he was on a list of players that the Sixers handed Dante Exum's agent before the 2014 draft. And they said, pick one of these guys to go one-on-one with Dante because they hadn't really had a good barometer for him, you know, kind of shutting it down. He was like the international man of mystery. So Tim Frazier comes in and he beats the crap out of Dante Exum one-on-one. And that prevented Philly from considering him over Joel Embiid at number three. They bring Tim Frazier back to summer league. They get him around their building. You know, he ends up getting called up by Philly later in the year. Um, funny story there was that his sneakers, he was playing for Portland in the D league at the time they were locked in the facility because everyone in Boston went to TD garden to check out his debut. And so he had to play Avery with Avery Bradley sneakers that Avery Bradley walked into the arena with. And Tim Brazier still goes out, puts up a double, double. He signs with Philly, you know, then he gets cut by them, but I put him on the map and Portland gave him a guaranteed deal. And now Tim Frazier is still in the league right now. He just signed with New Orleans before, you know, the, the league, the season ended. So Sam gave a lot of opportunities to undrafted guys like Robert Covington and like Tim Frazier. And I think that's uh, overlooked a lot of times when, when people think back on what the process was. Talk about the Celtics there, man. The early, early days of Brad Stevens there. You know, uh, I think they got lucky in not getting Markel Foles, making that trade with the Sixers <laughs> on that one. You know, Markel's in Orlando and there being rehabilitated right there on Steve Clifford, but he, they got lucky there at the Celtics. They talk, talk about the Brad and those guys, man. Yeah, I mean, like I said at the top, Boston traded KG and Paul Pierce, you know, right when Hanky tore his thing down, and, and they hired Brad Stevens before the, uh, the Philly hired Brett Brown. They poached Brad from Butler. You know, he was – this analytical-minded, new-age, younger guy that they thought would be great to grow a young group of guys. Marcus Smart became their first pick at number six. I, I know Boston was very high in Embiid. They were hoping he'd fall to them, but he wasn't getting past Philly from all my reporting. Um, they took James Young later on in that draft. Um, but the, the big difference between uh, Boston and Philly was that they made that net straight and they had those picks, and it allowed the Celtics to make more aggressive moves and get back into the winning you know, side of things and get back into the playoffs by that, that 2015 playoff run that they had in a trade for Isaiah Thomas from that Phoenix situation, and he goes off and becomes the all-star that he was. They were able to do that because they had the safety net of Brooklyn's picks. They had Brooklyn's 2016 pick that became Jalen Brown. And they had Brooklyn's 2017 pick that became the number one pick that they traded for, you know, with Philly, like you mentioned, to get Tatum at number three. So Boston, it was, they were really smart. They had that, um, they had those extra picks in their surplus from Brooklyn and they knew Brad was going to be someone that could develop these guys and really bring them to that next level, probably quicker than people thought. And they did make the playoffs right away. And obviously they've only fell to the seven seed, you know, this season, but they made the conference finals a bunch of the last couple of years. So I think Boston's rebuild really worked as well as anybody's. And also, you know, another team I look at is Memphis did a good job of rebuilding their, their thing down when they had to go leave those core four of Conley, Allen, you know, Gasol and Randolph and turn that over after firing David Fisdale and those boys getting Ja Morant. And yeah. they've done a good job kind of on the fly on as a retool, not a full teardown, but more of a, a retooling in Memphis. Well, Memphis is one of the bigger uh, benefits of the lottery reform that was instituted because it got passed in 2017, like I mentioned, but it first happened in 2019 when the Knicks missed out on Zion, just like when your Hawks did. And, you know, Ja Morant, he was rising, rising, rising up that board all year, just like the Grizzlies were falling and falling and falling down the stand. They were supposed to be a 50-win team. 
then, you know, injuries happened and, you know, um, they traded Z- uh, Marcus all to the Raptors. They were trying to trade Mike Conley too, but ultimately held on to him. And then they held Mike Conley all the rest of that year. And I think the lottery reform, it really benefits teams like that teams who didn't set out to tank originally, but, you know, maybe they're floating around the eight seed. And before this plan tournament became a thing, you know, it's easy to fall from 13 to seven. And that's what the Grizzlies did. They jumped up, you know, in the standings to around and in the lottery odds to around seven, eight. And now that the, that the lottery reform has been passed, those teams have higher percentages. And that's how the Pelicans and the Grizzlies jumped up to take Zion and Ja one and two. So I don't know if the, if the reform really, you know, fixed tanking, I think is more incentive to tank now. Most definitely. Exactly. Like those teams, like, like we said, Detroit, OKC, Orlando, you know, those teams, like, yeah, they, they, they're in a good spot. And, you know, Orlando decided to tank at the deadline, getting rid of Gordon and, and Vucevic and all those guys. So they're able to tear it all down again and rebuild in Orlando, which they've been trying to rebuild since, I guess, T-Mac and Dwight Howard, those guys left Orlando yeah. there. And we, I talk about it a lot in the book, you know, Hennig, Rob Hennigan came over to rebuild from that Dwight Howard tenure in 2012, a year before Sam Hinkie. And he did the same exact thing. He traded veterans. He collected young pieces. He collected future draft capital. He drafted, you know, Victor Oladipo number two in 2013 and Aaron Gordon number four in 2014. And then they took Mario Hazonia in 2015. I, I think what they struggled with, they also got Alfred Payton in there. You know, they struggled with positional identity and thinking that, you know, they came from the Thunder. Rob Hennigan came from that Sam Presti front office that took KD, Russ, and Harden three straight years. He just kind of thought that would happen all over again. They'd take these, these long athletes and they would just, like, emerge as something. He didn't realize that it takes a special breed of people. Like, those are three MVPs. Those guys, they knew they were going to push each other. They were uniquely hardwired to want to be the best and be the best together. In Orlando, they didn't have that that same type of success. Channing Fry told me, he was a veteran on that team later on in those years, that you know they, they suffered because they didn't have that alpha dog. It was all these guys trying to eat and get their own. And, you know, they all ended up stepping on each other's toes. He, he compared them to rats climbing a ladder. Think about that, right? Oh, and when yeah. rats kind of climb all over each other, that's just a perfect image. And I think that's why Orlando is where they are right now. They didn't have, like, a specific, you know, formulaic idea of how to build this. Never got the guy like Philly did in Joel Embiid. Like, to me, Minnesota has kind of got talent there, tanked a little bit, kind of not tanked, trying to go for it with certain players. They're kind of, to me, they're like the West version of Orlando, Jake. The same thing. Like, you know, they got Towns on a max deal. They gave it Wiggins a max. Then they have Russell and Anthony Edwards now. But Gerson Rosas came from kind of that tree of Daryl Morey, Sam Hinkie. So maybe Minnesota can get the air together here going forward with Chris Finch here. Yeah, I think Chris Finch is a phenomenal head coach. We've seen it the last couple of weeks. Uh, I mean, Anthony Edwards really developed, I think. I think he changed his shot selection pretty well. We saw you know, a lot less of him shooting from the mid-range, and, and he really was, you know, shooting step-back threes and attacking the rim and playing like a real analytical-minded game, right? But I think the thing with Minnesota, you're right, they did tank. In 2015, you know, they got the number one pick after trading for Kevin, after trading Kevin Love to Cleveland, and that's what became Carl Anthony Towns. So the, the, the step, though, is like, it's very easy to do that. It's very easy to, you and I could really go into an NBA front office right now, trade away our best players and create the worst team in the league, right? That's not hard to do. Exactly. It's a challenge to build it back up. It's a challenge to 
get those guys and find complementary pieces. That's Minnesota's next step. And I, I think Anthony Edwards could really be that piece that, you know, is a guy to pair with Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell and they have Malik Beasley. You know, I think they are starting to, to turn the corner here and it'll be interesting to see what happens with their lottery, you know, coming up in June. Yeah, because Phoenix did a great job of tanking and getting, getting building it back up. Because I remember when they played the Hawks here, I guess it was 2019, I think. And I was like, God, this is one of the worst games ever. Phoenix in Atlanta. <laughs> it, was like, it was like a late year game in March, I think. It was just, oh, my God. It's going to be a rough yeah. night. The, the battle of the tankers here. But it, it worked itself out for both teams. Obviously, you know, the Hawks are five seed. The Phoenix is two seed. Getting Chris Paul coming in there getting Jay Crowder on a mid-level exception deal, you know. So I think it, it, I, I'm with you, Jake. It works itself out. You either got to be yeah. very good or very bad. You be in the middle of purgatory, it's not good at all. Exactly. And, and the Suns are a perfect example, too, of why you got to do what you can to mitigate all these unforeseen variables. Devin Booker only went to Phoenix at 13 in 2015 because – Utah was picking ahead of them at number 12. Devin refused to go there. John Calipari first told me that. He said Devin had a team that he refused to go to. And I was like, who is the team? And he said, I'm not going to tell you. You can ask Devin. So sure enough, I found Devin one morning at shoot around at the garden, you know, before the pandemic. And I asked him like, hey, you know, I heard there was a team that you didn't want to work out for. Who was it? He was like, I don't want to go to Utah. So, you know, that type of little thing, it, it, it burns the jazz, but it obviously makes the, the, the Suns huge rewards. And, that, you know, so it's unforeseen and unexpected and unpredictable. And the more you're picking at the top of the draft, the more chances you have on getting guys like that. You know, it, you, know you can you can get DeAndre in a number one, too. And, you know, you can just stockpile these guys and get back closer, you know, but obviously the Jazz are where they are now. They did some great job drafting Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert later in the first round. But um, I think, you know, what the Suns did is a clear testament, like you said, of getting these all-stars and then another all-star like Chris Paul will join you and they're right there with, with Utah at the top of the West right now. Yeah, go get Jake's book, people. Yeah, go get Jake's book. Bill to lose. How he based tanking. Era change league forever. Tank is good. It changes the league for the, for, for the better. Tanking is good, people. Let's tank, you know. So, Jake, tell us a story. How did the Atlanta Hawks almost get Giannis in 2013 and missed out on that? Who was the GM then? Was that Ferry still, or who, or was it Bud, the GM? It was Danny Ferry. Danny okay. Ferry, by all accounts, from everyone I've talked to in the league, I'm confident in telling you right now that Danny Ferry was the NBA executive who was the highest on Giannis Antetokounmpo. He was begging Giannis's agents to hold him out of international play. They wanted to shut him down, make him visit Atlanta, and quietly have him, you know, go to the Hawks. And they thought he was going to be Giannis. They didn't think he'd be necessarily, like, the greatest player of all time, but they thought he'd be an MVP candidate type guy. And um, he was they, they were at 17 and 18 that year. That's where they picked Dennis Schroeder eventually um, and somebody else. I'm trying, I'm blanking on who the, yeah, got with the other pick, but they were really trying to move up to get Giannis. They even flew, they did fly Giannis in under cloak and dagger. They put him up in Danny Ferry's house. He ate dinner with Danny Ferry's family at his kitchen table. They ordered Italian takeout food. And it was like this big kumbaya moment with the you know next future franchise star. But they couldn't trade up above the Milwaukee Bucks at number 15. They, they had a chance with Dallas at 13. But Dallas, 
they were trying to clear cap space for that upcoming free agency and the free agency in 2014 when they made a play for Carmelo and LeBron. They were not trying to take on the Hawks' number 17, number 18 picks because they had guaranteed salaries attached to it. The Hawks are sitting there like, why won't you take our two picks? 17 and 18 for 13, that's great value. Dallas, instead, they swung a deal with Boston. They took Kelly Olynyk. They sent Olynyk to Boston for, you know, basically to save money. And, you know, two, two uh, spots later, Giannis goes to the Bucks, And, uh, you know, there was, there was some devastation in that Hawks war room from people I talked to. A lot of people in the war room, you know, they struggled moving throughout the rest of the draft. They were just like, how are we not? Like, we thought we had Giannis. We thought we had the one. And she left you at the altar, you know. So it was pretty devastating, I think, for a lot of uh, Atlanta personnel that night. Oh yes, I can only imagine him being in Atlanta right now. I mean, my God, that would that would have been. I, we could have probably done better against the Cavs those years, man. I get swept and but those year back to back years. My goodness. But part of that is that Bud doesn't adjust. But I, I'm not gonna go there today. <laughs> I'm not gonna go there today. <laughs> He's trying to adjust to Milwaukee. He's trying to adjust them, and, and they're letting the media know that they're, you know, trying to switch up their coverages and all that type of stuff, so. You know what's funny, uh, Jake, is this, man. When I watched the Jazz and the Grizzlies, I still see Hawks plays I saw in Atlanta. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, it's the same stuff. It's the, the same stuff. I'm like, you see, <laughs> that's going to be my problem with Jenkins in Memphis. You can't be stubborn as Buddy as Taylor. Can I mix up a little bit, brother? <laughs> you know, I love you. I miss you. But you, you might be back in Atlanta soon if you don't, if you don't make some adjustments in Memphis, man. I'm telling you. But, yeah, Bud says that, Jake. But I've heard those words before from Bud. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be interesting to see how they perform in these playoffs. That's for sure. Now, let's talk about our series between the Knicks and the Hawks, man. You know, I'm not going to be a homer. I just feel like, you know, I feel like in the, in the play, a series, you're going to have to – Trey doesn't have to guard somebody, and you really can't – you can try to hide him, but you really can't. And I think Tibbs will try, run a pick and rolls to get Trey back onto Derrick Rose when he comes off the bench there. And then you got Alec Burks playing well too right now. So I think it'll come down to the Knicks attacking Trey Young's defense. And will the Hawks put Capella in a drop coverage? Or make him be up there and actually hedge and defend a little bit and then recover. And that's the twist the whole matchup right now is what the Knicks attack the Hawks defense. I, I think that's a really astute point. Um, I, I I agree. I mean, I think back to a particular Hawks series that we were kind of talking about earlier when Isaiah Thomas brought Boston to the playoffs in 2016. I watched Atlanta pick and roll the Celtics to death with Isaiah Thomas. So I totally expect that to be the, the Knicks' pursuit here. And I, I, I think Clint will drop back because the Knicks don't have much shooting. So it is, it's going to be a packed-in game uh, on that side of the floor versus on the other side, obviously. You know, Atlanta's going to try to run and space it out. It's a really conflict of styles. Um, and, you know, typically in the postseason, that clash, you know, not to upset Hawks fans listening, but typically that benefits the slower, more methodical, more aggressive defensive team, which is the Knicks. Uh, I'll, I'll be really curious to see, you know, how that fire and ice mixes, especially, you know, the way that Atlanta played down the stretch with Bogdanovich doing what he's doing. You know, that, that's why they brought him there to, you know, be a, a secondary creator when Trey's got it going or when he's struggling. So if he can keep 
doing what he's done the, the last, you know, 10 games or so, 15 games of that regular season and be a 20 point a game threat. That'll be big for the Hawks, but I, I, I'd be, uh, I'd be ready. I'd be preparing for a really long series on Trey Young because he's going to have to work on both sides of the ball. Look, I'm be honest with you, Jake. You know, I'm not. Been, I think the Knicks winning six games because you you go to Lou Williams off the bench for the backup point guard. That's still like the same situation. Lou's a great scorer, but defensively, you can still run the same pick and rolls to get what 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 you want. And then okay, J- John Collins on Julius Randle. Or you gonna put Hunter on him? Hunter is getting back into the groove here. He's not quite oiled up per se. So I'm just looking at the matchup. Got to be all the time. It's about the matchup. The uh-huh. I feel like the Miami Heat were a better matchup for the Atlanta Hawks than the New York yeah. Knicks are. But the Knicks pose more trouble. I mean, think about you know talking about we're talking about the pick and roll. And then the Knicks run a lot of pick and roll with Julius Randle as the ball handler. So imagine yes. it's them bringing a guard. Trey Young's got to switch on Julius, and you know the Hawks obviously are very notorious outside of Clint. They don't really have many big men on that roster that are pretty sufficient defensively, right? That's been John Collins' biggest knock. That's why he doesn't have a max contract extension already. So, it's going to be really interesting to see how the Knicks attack Atlanta. And I think, um, you know, I think it's going to be the, the playoffs are a different beast, just like you mentioned. And um, you know that chess match, those cross matchups. I think also favored the Knicks coaching staff as well. No, no shots at Nate McMillan. I just think that uh, they're the, the Knicks are more of like a cutthroat, I'm coming to kill you type of coaching staff, and the Hawks are more of a let's just roll it out there and get our best type of shot that type of coaching staff. So it'll be interesting to see. Now, do you feel like that Nate will get the job in Atlanta? I think he should get the job personally. I mean, he's done he's done well. You know, I feel bad for Lloyd Pierce because he kind of got a raw deal because the team was injured. That COVID mm-hmm. year, he didn't have his everybody his full complement, and you know, and just I I, I have reasons I think why he got fired. I don't want to say him on the air, but I have reasons why I think he got fired. But it's like, you know, I think the Nate should get the job full time. What, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think so too. And from you know any conversation I've had with league executives, I mean, on any team, everyone pretty much universally agrees that he's done enough to get get back. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know how you could move on from him. I know there's been some talk about Chauncey Billups being rumored about behind the scenes. He's got a really close relationship with uh, Ray Young, Trey's father, and he knows he's known Trey going back to for however long. Um, that's that's an, that's a popular rumor among coaching circles in the league. I can report that. Um, but I do think Nate will, you know, I think he'll stick around long term, and I, I think he deserves it, definitely. Uh, last one for you, kind of oh, going to Nate McMillan's old, stop it, grabs in the toilet. No, that's a Nate, Nate Bjorkren. Uh, man, that's a mess there, man. I, 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 I'm thinking even still, even if they lose to the Wizards, he has to, he has to be gone because if your two best players don't really, don't really respect you and you kind of came off kind of fake and – Ooh-wee, I think it's time to go. And Greg Foster, my man, going crazy on Badassi like that. Man, man, what's going on up there? So what's your thoughts on that situation with the Pacers, man? And is Bjorken probably coaching for his, his last games with the Pacers here? I, I, I At this point, I, I don't know. I, I don't have a guess on whether he'll be back or not. It, I, I mean, I couldn't – I don't understand how he could be back based off everything I've heard and everything I wrote for Play Report. It just sounds like a pretty uncomfortable – unfortunate situation for everybody involved. I mean, I wish all 30 teams in the league success. I want everyone to be successful and, you know, 
prosperable, whatever you want to, whatever word you want to put in here. Um, but it just is what it is. And, um, you know, I, I, I do expect him not to be back. And I, I think, um, you know, they'll, they'll end up going in a, a, a very big course. I mean, Nate was supposed to be a course correction from McMillan. Um, but and I think they're going to really do their homework this time and, and find a coach that you know, is more of a player's coach and more of a rallying type guy and not someone as uh, divisive of a character, let's say. And Luke Walton kept his job because of money, I do believe. Um, I read a report about Stotts uh, losing support. I mean, the guys have been in the playoffs all these different years. I know you're in the Western Conference. It's a, it's a tough conference. And if I'm Portland, who do you find better than Terry Stotts right now out there in, in the marketplace? Yeah, Chauncey Billups is another hot name being rumored for that opening. But I, I think I agree with you. Stotts has done a phenomenal job, you know, talking to coaches around the league. He's, you know, very widely respected as one of the better offensive minds. And, you know, he's done some really great work, I think, with Portland, especially, you know, fighting off that Lakers team for the sixth seed. You know, the Blazers had as much injury issues as anybody in the league this year. Um, so the fact that he's done what they've done, um, I, I'm, I'm really impressed uh, with the with the work that Terry Stotts has always been, able, been capable of doing. Um, I, I think he deserves more more time there. I, I do as well. Most definitely. Jake, before you go, tell us about your book one more time, brother. While this is going to get your book, it's available on Amazon. Tell us where you can get your, your book and get it today so you can learn about more about tanking and how it's great. Yeah. The book is called Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. It's available on Amazon, bookshop.org, wherever books are sold. Um, I published Triumph Books, and yeah, I, I did over 300 original interviews for coaches, players, agents, executives. Uh, to, to, I mean, it's, it's virtually all new information that you're not going to find anywhere else, so I'd appreciate the support, and you know, if, if anyone who's listening who buys a copy, you won't be disappointed, I can promise you that. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.